Bienvenidos a Remenaya, my name is Vero Vallati Flores. And I'm Miriam Soyla Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each of you bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love, and this is part two of a two-part series on Miami and its music and how it's mm-hmm. shaped Latino sound. It's unfortunate that we're not bringing Bienvenidos a Miami by Will Smith this episode, <laughs> given that the Oscars were last night and it's all anyone is talking about today, but he is not Latino, so it's not Ooh, this episode. Mess, 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 mess. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, but we are starting with someone who is Latina, um, and this is Albita, and the song is called Que Manera de Quererte, and let's take another listen. Me podré soñarte si no en tus ojos, tus ojos de puñal y cementera. Donde podré soñarte si no en tus ojos, tus ojos de puñal y cementera. Estrellas que se escapan de tu rostro con la mirada tierna y placentera. So we brought this song before, yeah? We have. She, you know, she has a lots of songs, but this is just my favorite, so I kind of stuck with it. And it's her first big hit, so I stuck with this one. I, I did debate bringing something else, but I just love this song. And, and I think I brought it, like, episode five, so it's been, it's been <laughs> so like six years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're really, like, a diehard Riley Minnette fan, like my mom or something, you probably remember. But, um, okay, so part one, if you didn't listen to it, you should go back and listen to it. It kind of chronicled like the history of Latinx music in Miami from like 1960 through 1990. So now we're chronologically, we're in the nineties and Albita um, is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I love her cause she's like queer, although she's really coy about it. Like she's not like waving like a rainbow flag around, but like it's kind of like, you know, lo que se ve no se pregunta kind of thing. Like everybody knows yeah. it's like an open yeah. secret, you know? I guess sabe, sabe. Right, like she wore suits in the 90s, but like direct, you know, I couldn't find anything like directly her being like, I'm a lesbian, you know, but everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the reasons I like her. And then also she is interesting because she came. So like a lot of the episode, um, a lot of the first episode was people who came either themselves as young children or their parents brought them to Miami post-revolution. So there's like a huge wave, like half a million people over the space of a number of years left Cuba, made it to Miami, kind of turned Miami into a Latino city, really. Like there was a very small yeah, Latino yeah. population before that. But Albita's part of another kind of wave of people that trickled in over the next couple of decades because what happened is Castro closed the border. So like at first he was like, you don't like it, leave. Like any, anybody wants to leave can leave. Your passport is invalidated. You can't take any of your money with you. 
by the time my maternal grandparents left in 62 or 63, they could only bring three changes of clothing. Like, it just kept getting harder to leave, but he let people leave. And then eventually they closed the borders. I think maybe because they were like, is everyone going to leave? Like, we need to keep some people here. And so Mm. for a couple of decades, until 1980, it was, like, almost impossible to leave Cuba. But one way that people would leave was by defecting. Is this something you've heard about, Beto? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like it gets a lot of attention because like baseball players and musicians and artists because right, like, they were course. kind of the only people who were really allowed to travel internationally. Like it was really difficult to get permission to leave Cuba um, mm-hmm. for those decades. So she was one of the people who defected. So in 93, her and her band, she was so she she grew up in Cuba. She was a musician. You know, the Cuban government did fund musicians and you could be a musician as your work. Um, so she did that. And then in 93, they were in Mexico and her and her bandmates um, walked across the border. And at that time, if you're Cuban and you walked across the border and you said, I'm Cuban, they were like, welcome to the United States, which is like amazing for Cubans and so wild, you know, that there's could be such a, a stark difference between two people's experience just based on where they're from. Um, and so she did that with her bandmates. And so she ended mm-hmm. up in Miami. Mm-hmm. And she like ended up having a very successful time in Miami and got the attention of a lot of like local Miami like kind of celebrity folks like there's people mentioned like Madonna and like Versace like some of these sort of like more I feel like by this time Miami had more going on in terms of like an arts and culture scene and there was people interesting kind of like influencers in that way that were in Miami you know South Beach like the whole thing and so um so yeah that's kind of part of what made her popular people started to know who she was and follow her um and yeah this was her this song was like her first big um hit Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that was her story. Yeah. You didn't I know that she defected on the gay part. I was like, Alita, yeah, gay out. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that she came over later. You know, there were there is like a big kind of rift between the Cubans who came in the 60s. And then the other big wave of Cubans besides those who defected was the Maria boat lift which was mm-hmm. 1980, which, you know, Vero and I talked about, like she hadn't heard of it, but it was a big deal because, um, it's a long story, but basically Castro once again opened the borders for like a brief amount of time. And, um, but people had to leave by getting picked up by someone they knew by boat. <laughs> so all of the Cubans in Miami, um, who had access to a boat or could borrow a boat were chartering these boats to go to Cuba, which is not very far and pick people up and bring right. them to Miami. Right. Um, but part of what they did, uh, what the Castro government did is they also let people out of prison and they also supposedly let people out of like mental institutions and, and also sent those people. And so my mom was like, the rule was that you couldn't, you could go pick up your family members, but you had to take a few random people in the boat too. And so, um, there was this like pretty significant discrimination between the Cubans who came in the sixties and then the Marielitos, which is what they were called, which I think had a lot to do with race and class because the people who stayed in Cuba... And ableism, that too, yeah. Um, but the people who came, you know, who left Cuba in the early days, they were not all, like, light-skinned or white, but, like, tended to be more so because of people with privilege were, like, some of the first people to leave. Um, and then the people who stayed, you know, people who benefited from, who were able to benefit somewhat from Castro were people who had less privilege, more marginalized. He had a lot of promises around um, racial equity, that, like, that was something yeah. he was going to end was racism, which... You know, I don't think he succeeded. Didn't but pan out. I mean, you can no. look at who's in charge over there. and Yeah, they're know, all like take, white, take white a humans. Yeah, that. it does not look like ec- racial equity. Yeah. So anyway, so the people who came in 1980 were, you know, more likely. I mean, they were a different class. They Some of them were a different race. Um, and then there was this thing about like 
people who had mental illness or were prisoners. But like, if you look at, I, I did a little research and like a very small fraction of the people who came had a criminal record. Um, like it's not very well founded. This like, it's like, mm-hmm. it's true, but it was not like the majority of people. And it became kind of an excuse to really discriminate against the Marielitos right. to be like, Oh, they're criminals or, Oh, they're, you know, and also, they're I mean, like Ill. the way that criminality is used as just a way to hold up the status quo generally, right? To like, yeah. you know, just like, it's so sad. So I mean, even so if fun. you do have yeah. a criminal record, like what does that really say about you? Yeah. And like, that was the thing is like, the, that's the research I read is like a lot of the things people were in jail for were like things that wouldn't be considered crimes outside of Cuba, you know, like, and not that if you committed another crime, like that, that even matters. But I think really it was just an excuse to discriminate against a group of people yeah. who were like darker and poorer than the people who came in the sixties. And so mm-hmm. just my, makes me sad, I think, because yeah, I mean, it just shows that the divisions that exist in Cuba can replicate themselves outside in the diaspora, you know, which isn't yeah. that surprising, but so someone like Albita, you know, she defected. So she's not a Marielito, you know, so she's like received and she's like a cultural, you know, musician, whatever she's received very differently than like, the people who came in the eighties and it was only a six month period that this happened and 125,000 people came. So fascinating. Yeah. It was a a huge number uh also for how big Miami was back then. Yeah. It was a big thing. Um, and yeah, there was also worry about crime and about job, you know, all this stuff. I'm sure there was a whole moral panic. Of course. Yeah. But none of it, none of it really panned out. So she's another Emilio Estefan, um, person. Yeah. Yep. He signed her. Yep. He signed her. So, right. So post, I think sometime in the late 80s, 90s is when he started to be more of like a producer and, and more yeah, kind like of more in the like behind the behind scenes. Behind the scenes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gloria's having a very successful career and that continues to this day, but he started doing other things. And yeah, so he signed her, um, Albita. He also had a hand in people like Ricky Martin, J-Lo, John Cicada, who we'll talk about later on in the a member episode, member segment, Mark Anthony, Talia, Shakira. So yeah, I mean, the Estefans have had like their hands in a lot of big latinx sure have. success in the u.s yeah and have sort of like fashioned miami into a latinx music hub for yeah yeah i feel like they're Latin definitely America, part of it really yeah i really do think they're part of that um wave and i wonder it's like well if you know, if Miami Sound Machine hadn't had the success it had, if Gloria Stefan hadn't been the big name she, it ha- she had, like, would that have changed the face of, like, the Miami music scene, you know? I think I don't know. so. That's my impression. My impression yeah. is that they were really foundational to, like, I mean, they were in Miami. They lived in Miami. So it's like, y'all come to us. Right. And this yeah, whole no, industry I think sort of deal. was built around that. Yeah, it was a big deal. And, I mean, Will Smith's song was in... Um, what year was it? I think it was 97. So there did start <laughs> to be some like interest, not that, you know, he's a huge marker of something, but there is like, I feel like there starts to be more interest in the nineties in Miami. I mean, there was, you know, there's culture coming out of Miami, like Miami vice in the seventies. So it's not, you know, unique to the nineties, but, um, but yeah, that just sort of like more interest conversation about Miami, more people kind of connecting there thinking about Miami. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So yeah, I'm a big fan of Albita. She's still around. I feel like follow her on Instagram. She's like, I don't think she has a, she has like a nephew maybe. I don't think it's her grandchild, but there's like a kiddo that she's always posting about and she still sometimes performs, but it seems like her career has like slowed down a lot. Um, but I don't Good know. I her. just like, I hope she's yeah. having an excellent gay retirement. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm really happy that she exists, you know, and like, but she was part of the scene in the way that she was. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, so the next um, artist we're going to listen to is, I think, our first non-Cuban artist in this whole series. <laughs> so now, finally, it's 2002. Um, and, and you know, again, there were non-Latinx artists in Miami this whole time that I haven't been talking about. But, like, the Latinx music scene has really just been dominated by Cubans for the, you know, the second half, really, of the 20th century. Um, so this is Mi Primer Mion, and it's by Basilos. Let's take a listen. Yo solo quiero pegar en la radio Estoy ya cansado de estar endeudado De verte sufriendo por cada centavo Dejémoslo todo y vámonos para Miami Voy a lo que voy a volverme famoso A la vida de artista de canciones, tener ilusiones que rompan diez mil corazones. Yo solo quiero pegar en la radio para ganar mi primer millón, para comprarte una casa grande en donde quepa tu corazón. Yo solo quiero que la gente cante por todos lados esta canción, desde San Juan hasta Barranquilla, desde Sevilla hasta Nueva York. Emilio, yo tengo un amigo, amigo de un amigo, con línea directa al cielo de tantas estrellas. So, you know, it's hard to say, like, besides being like, who was born in Miami? Like, what does it mean to have a Miami music scene? What what bands do you associate with Miami? What groups do you associate with Miami? Because like we've talked about, I think as time has gone on, it's just become more of like a place where culture and entertainment is made. Um, mm -hmm. And to figure out who to like associate with Miami yeah. is kind of a tricky thing. It um, is tricky. It is tricky. We we're talking about, you know, like so much pop music is made there, but it's like, okay, so this is a Colombian artist that's coming over here. Okay, so this is right. a, um, right. you know, Venezuelan group that is making right. music here. Um, right. And it's it feels like sort of hard to parse out, like when someone's like, you know, especially with like recent immigrants, a lot of folks are really mm -hmm. recent immigrants. So like, where do you, where do you yeah. make cutoffs for sure? Right. Right. So it's like they're not Miami artists, but like if you're recording in Miami, if the people that are making the decisions about the music you're producing, you know, the editorial decisions, the business decisions are in Miami. Like, to, is there some argument to say that Miami is influencing this, you know? So um, I think it's just like an open question that I was thinking about. I was like trying to decide who to include here. And so these guys, none of them are from Miami, but they met at the University of Miami. So it feels like, a OK, this is how Miami brings people together. And um this song actually, which I didn't even remember when I picked it, um, starts talking, the beginning of it talks about leaving home to go to Miami. And the mm -hmm. video is actually even at the Miami airport. So it's clearly a part of their story. In some ways, the story of the song is like leaving home to try and make your, make a name for yourself, like make a career. And the place they go to is Miami instead of like, you know, these three guys are from Colombia, Brazil, and Puerto Rico. So it's not going to Medellin. It's not going to Rio. You know, it's going to Miami. Right. right. Um, not going to San Juan, you know, and so I think that is, that does say something about what Miami offers people in terms of the, the music industry. So yeah, they met at the University of Miami, which is actually where my parents met also. Mm. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, this is like this is like pan Latin music coming out of Miami. You know, none of these <laughs> right. guys are Cuban. You can't you know? quite pin it to anything in no. particular, like genre-wise. It's just like vaguely Latino pop. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty Latino pop. I mean, it's no, it Spanish, is, but I, guess, but I mean, yeah. well, it's vague. It's not vaguely Latino. I guess right. it's like vaguely the genre pop. is vague. It's not yeah. like wow, yeah. this is like. Salsa, yeah, yeah. Or this is, no, you know, exactly. It's just like right. pop that has pop. all these inflections that are associated and instrumentality that's associated yeah. with Latinidad. Totally. Yeah. And then and I think Latino they primarily genres, yeah. primarily sing in Spanish also. Um, but yeah, you're right. So that yeah, they this album was um, this was the t- the opening track on their Cataluna album in 2002, and it won um, a Grammy for best Latin pop album. So yeah, you know, it, was like it was everywhere. It was everywhere at the yeah, time. With, yeah, with like a big splash. I mean, I definitely started listening to them when I was in Ecuador in 2005 and really liked this album. Um, and yeah, I like their sound. They sometimes have more political messages in their music, which I appreciate. They, I brought a bunch of their songs over the years, but never this one. And um, they took a 10-year break, but they just released their fifth album in 2021. So it seems like they're making music again together. Yeah, but yeah, like they were like a is... big success. Yeah, I feel like this is the Vasilos song that I oh, really? really know, you know, because it's like, yeah, I mean, I was in Venezuela, I think, at the time that this came out, and it was all over the radio, and I was like, mm-hmm. I, I just knew this song. Um, okay. They're a little more, like, poppy in, I mean, I love pop, but, like, it's, their music isn't very interesting to me a lot of the time, yeah. so I haven't really followed them beyond right. um, beyond this, like, massive hit that they had when I was in yeah. Venezuela at the time, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought Cataluna, which is like the title track, was maybe bigger than this, but I could totally be wrong. And yeah, this, it was also it was also really big. I remember that yeah. song, too. <laughs> yeah, and I brought that one in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this album, it's just like, like you often say, like a, just a, a good like pop confection, you know? It's just, <laughs> it's likable. It's easy to listen to. I don't, you know? like I Yeah, yeah. If it hits for you, it hits. What can yeah. I say? No, I like it a lot. So, I yeah, I gotta, I've been trying to follow. I think I brought something that they did more recently. So I'm trying to follow them and see, you know, what they're, what they're going to be up to. Um, but yeah, these are, these three dudes met in Miami. But yeah. So our next person is Mr. 305 himself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is Mr. Miami. Yeah. He's like repping <laughs> Miami hardcore. So next song is by Pitbull himself, Mr. 305, Mr. Like hardcore rep Miami all over the place. Um, and this is the opening track of his um, 2004 album, and it's called 305 Anthem. Let's take a listen. Man, the game is mine in due time. 
time, it's alright, I'm patient, man I know how to play my position I know how to play my part I know how to play these bitches I know how to play with they hearts I've done some dumb things, but for the most, I played it smart Who cares if you run things, cause I'm as live as one of six in park This game is nothing but a pool of blood with a bunch of sharks Only the strong survives, do or die, get it right That's why I vote for my peoples Cop back, go to war for my peoples Break bread with my peoples Man, I die for my peoples Everybody knows the truth Little John moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so him and Little John have a bunch of collaborations on this album, which is it was Pitbull's debut album. And I think it's really interesting because, like, this sounds very little to me like the Pitbull of today. Like, he's had a very, like, big yeah. evolution as an artist. A 180. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, there's just been an evolution. And, and in some ways, it, I think it mirrors a little bit of what we talked about around, like, um, artists becoming more sanitized or becoming more mainstream and like maybe shifting the themes that they sing about and like the way they sound. And, um, and well, I think, I think that, that artists maybe have a choice whether to like go. I mean, I don't know if Pitbull is not being true to himself right now. Yeah, I do not yeah. know Pitbull, no, but never I know, think right? that like to stay true to a specific sound or to be big right yep. to like and i pitbull definitely chose big yep he did he did yeah it's just interesting because this song and like yeah people should evolve too like i don't want to always say that that's a bad thing or that they're selling out or that they're yeah that they're sanitizing themselves but like the the themes of this song are really about like the difficult childhood he had in miami and he's also he's like he and i are the same generation um born in in the united states parents came in the early 60s um, but he, his father was out of the picture. His mother struggled with substance abuse. He was in foster care for a little bit. He got kicked out of the house for selling drugs. Like he had a pretty like rough upbringing in Miami. And that's also like very much the story of Miami. You know, there's a lot of poverty in Miami as well as there's like wealth. And so, um, what does he sing about now? You know, like now he sings about like Parties. very different themes, you know, and he's like sort of like a business guy almost and he's always wearing suits and he has this <laughs> he's like always right? in this like well fitting, very well tailored yeah. suit. Right. And this is not the look from this time. But also like he wasn't making <laughs> no. money then the way he is now, you know? Um so but yeah, I think it's really interesting. He's really like built his career off like repping Miami, you know? And I don't know that anybody I feel like he might be the first. I don't know. You might be missing. I mean, somebody. there's the Miami Sound Machine. Right. Right. That's true. Very right. That was Miami. central to their. That was true. That was very central to their name and their brand. Okay, you're you're right. That's fair. But now Gloria Stefan. I mean, she's very associated with Miami, but it's not as much of a part of her necessarily brand as Mr. Three Hundred Five over here. But um, yeah, he's really built himself around that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he really has. And it's interesting because, yeah, he talks about in an interview that he, like, credits the melting pot of Miami for introducing him to so many different cultures and teaching him, like, important lessons and stuff. And so I think his experience in Miami sounds like it was maybe more diverse. Um, And that might have something to do with socioeconomics, you know, where he was living and who he was surrounded by and not necessarily just being in, like, a monolith of, like, the Cuban community in Miami. Um, He does cite Willie Chino as an inspiration, though. (laughs) So that I like love that tie into the sort of part one of this um, of this series and and Willie Chino as like a a big you know musical figure in for particularly for like Cuban Americans in this generation. Um, so the the big hit from this album was the second track, which is Kulo. But I wanted to bring the three hundred five anthem because it was so tied to like his relationship to Miami. 
but Kulo was what got him, what hit him big. And it's interesting because the 305 anthem doesn't have necessarily much of like a quote unquote Latin sound. There's no Spanish, like it's pretty straight rap. Um, but Kulo is very, has like a Latin beat, is in, has Spanish language. And that's like what, you know, I wouldn't expect a track like 305 anthem. I mean, that's not built to be a, a hit single at all. That's a intro to this album. But, um, but yeah, the fact that the song that like got him big initially was like a very clearly like Latin sound, song, I think is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that this song was probably, you know, like could have been successful in like, I, I think what's interesting about this is that it's, um, so Lil John is from Atlanta and mm-hmm. is very um, much in like, like crunk sort of like hip hop subgenre and um, geographically Florida and uh, Florida and Georgia are right next to each other, right? Even though mm-hmm. Miami's like way, way, way on the south, but mm-hmm. um, but I think that like sort of associating yourself with the southern hip hop movement mm-hmm. um, is an interesting and geographically appropriate move, I guess. Although it's yeah. so, I feel like it's also always so fascinating to think of Florida as like is Florida the South? Like yeah. if you go to the Panhandle, Florida feels like the South. Oh, Miami yeah. doesn't feel like the southeast in the same way yeah um so no but but sort of like in terms of like the geography of hip-hop that's where um that's where pitbull sort of lands Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i had not like thought about him and little john together but until i like remembered the collaborations that happened on this album and then two of his later albums, I think the next album maybe was called Mariel, and then the third one was called Boatlift. So I don't, I didn't like dig into the themes in the albums, but I thought it was interesting that he's very clearly referencing this, you know, issue it, moment that was very important to Miami. But I don't, I mean, it got some national attention and and also fueled some anti-immigrant bullshit around like the people coming are criminals, right? Um, but I don't think it was like you know a particularly big event necessarily nationally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it mattered a lot in Miami. All right, we're going to take a little break um, to give you one last message about our birthday. So it is technically April 1st, and we said we would do this through March. Our birthday's in March, but we're giving you one um, last chance to support us as um, members if you would like to do that. And our birthday month promos, it will send you a free poster with that. So we'll give you through the weekend if you want to do that. Yeah, so sign up by April 3rd, by the end of the day on April 3rd, and we'll still send you the poster. It's Vero's really beautifully designed Menos Violencia Mas Perreo poster. It retails for like $15, so if you sign up for our membership in March, you basically get like three free months of um, membership and your poster, so if you (laughs) want to think about it that way. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for considering supporting us. It really, really makes a huge difference to keeping this show going. It does. Thank you so much. All right. What do we have next? All right. So our next um, our next song is actually one of my favorites um, that I brought to the show back when it came out. But we're going to hear it again. I think um, this time we're going to listen to the version that's in Espanol. And this is Cat Dahlia's Gangsta. Let's take a listen. Por la malicia y no se te educas, pero está bien, está bien, está diciendo lo que no es. 
su mamá Es un sobreviviente de los casinos Lo juego, lo perdió todo Pero él no me perdió a mí Le voy a comprar una casa antes de mi primer Grammy Mi mamá dedicó todo su tiempo a Dios Pa' encontrar la fe, sanar su dolor Y quitarse el sabor, arrancarse el color Que dejó el dolor Yo me he marcado la vida Buscando siempre una salida Pero nunca me doy por perdida Durmiendo todos los días para luego trabajar Dios te bendiga más Me fumo un blunt pa' recordar Dicen que mi voz está poniendo mal Me pongo ronca, la nota comenzó a bajar Vuelvo de nuevo a pensar Y te pienso So yeah, Kat Dahlia is like, again, like my generation basically of Cuban-American She's younger than I am, but um, it's kind of same story of sort of when the parents came from from Cuba um, and yeah it's very possible you turn me on to this song um, it's one of my favorites and I like it I mean I like the sound of it I also like the story which is in some ways in the same vein as Pitbull's story of like a difficult upbringing in Miami you know like um, I think sometimes people can think that because some of the Cubans who came over from Cuba were like wealthy and from like an upper class that that translated to like life in Miami and number one not everybody who came was wealthier upper class and number two people had to leave their wealth behind and so it doesn't mean that people were able to like recreate the kind of success or wealth that they had in the U.S. and so um there's a lot of different experiences in Miami but I don't think that always gets like understood more broadly and so um yeah she talks a lot of in this episode about like her father having a gambling addiction the way that her mother like uses religion to sort of like mask over everything like she's telling some pretty like hard truths about the way in which she grew up in Miami yeah yeah I think the um the lyricism of this is really good and it's a it's a really I I really love some good storytelling in a song Mm -hmm. some compelling storytelling in a song Mm -hmm. and I feel like it's sort of a lost art um but I I really like this for that reason I think that it gave a really um sort of beautiful and nuanced picture of like a hard life Mm-hmm. And she did a really good job translating this into Spanish. Like, I don't think that, like, it doesn't, you know, it's not easy because of, like, the timing and the ways in which, like, you know, words don't translate the same syllables and whatnot. But she, like, created a lot of um, fluidity in this version as well as the English version. Yeah, when this came out, I was like, wow, this is the next it girl. Like, she's really going to go places. But she really hasn't. I mean, I think she's struggled with a lot of the shit yeah. that she's been through. A lot right. of the trauma. So. There's a lot yeah. of like substance stuff happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. It yeah. seems like so. Yeah, it's really been, too bad. Yeah. Her voice is so incredible. I know, and she's been producing music, but it's just not. It hasn't been capturing me particularly. And there was like an album that was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen. Yeah, she moved to LA. She got a DUI in Miami before she left. So, yeah, I think she's had some struggles. Um, And then she was having issues with her vocal cords because, like, this really beautiful, raspy kind of singing that she does is actually really hard on her throat. And so that might also be part of, like, what's made her struggle to kind of keep up the success. It's like, it was a very, like... Yeah, that'll do it. You know, it's a very signature kind of sound that she has. And and I don't know that she's able to maintain it. Y'all should watch the video for this. I it's it's like a Spanish dubbed version of the English video because it's got really beautiful visuals, but also she's wearing this like bodysuit veto that reminds me of you a little bit. Like I feel like you 
<laughs> rock that bodysuit. And it also reminds me of you, like Marissa Tomei Halloween costume <laughs> from um, Cousin Vinny. So I like remember the outfits thing. in this video yeah. being fire. I don't remember them. Yeah. I mean, because it was so long ago when I, the last time I watched it, probably. Yeah, you should but. take a look. It's it's still good. It's, it's yeah. aged well. Okay, so the last two artists we're going to talk about on the main part of the show are not Cuban. Hey, actually both Dominican. Um, and so the next song we're going to take a listen to is Leslie Grace. Will you still love me tomorrow? This era of Leslie Grace's like remakes mm-hmm. of uh, bachata remakes of American mm-hmm. classics. <laughs> yeah, this is like mostly on her first album. Yeah, her 2013 debut. Uh, sorry, it wasn't her debut album. It's her second album. She actually made Christian music when she was young, <laughs> which I think is interesting. I know, um, but yeah, she has a couple of like really good bachata takes on American classics, which I think is like a really. It works so well. Like um, yeah, it does. It works. Yeah. So has. Um, my boy Prince Royce has also done this before, and yeah, it works really well. Um, but this was her first big hit, and it's just there's just something really beautiful about being able to use something that's like such an iconic piece of like American Americana, you know, and make it and then bring bachata into it so seamlessly. It's kind of like a cat, like a bait and switch, but it's so good, you know. So, yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. So this is, I feel like, a little bit of a stretch in terms of, like, is she associated with Miami? I don't really know. She was raised in, I mean, she was born in the Bronx, but she was raised in Davie, Florida, which is, like, north of Miami, but part of, like, the broader metropolitan area. I feel like metropolitan area counts. No, yeah. So she's definitely from the Miami area. I think the question is, like, how much does that matter to her or, like, her music? You know, like, that's what I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. what can I say Mm -hmm. about the impact of Miami on her? Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, Miami... It doesn't like the city of Miami is actually not that big. Um, and a lot of the other municipalities around Miami, like some of them actually like separated from Miami in the in the past because of like probably somewhat racism and also like money issues that Miami was having. The city of Miami was like bankrupt at some point. And so like the city of Aventura is its own thing, like a lot of different areas kind of like split off. So the the metropolitan area. Yeah. Includes a lot of different um, mm-hmm, cities. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she's from Miami, but 
yeah, does that matter? Does she feel identified with Miami? You know, she's not Miss Miss 305 or something, right? So that's what yeah. I can't say. I wonder, though, like how being in that, you know, like a cultural center and like an industry hub, you know, like I find yeah. it hard to believe that that doesn't play a role, you know? Doesn't have an impact, yeah. But, you know, she's Dominican and she's, you know, definitely Afro-Dominican, although not necessarily like dark-skinned person. Like that also, as we're going to talk about with our next artist, like can also have a really make Miami a difficult place to be an artist too, because there's Ooh, a lot of boy. colorism, yeah. you know? So um, we'll get into that in a second. But the last thing I want to say is that, yeah, Leslie Grace also started in the Heights, which was like her debut acting role. And she was actually really, really good. Like she did not seem like a person trying to make a crossover and like being awkward about it. You know, like she clearly has like acting skills and um, yeah. I really liked her and she's actually going to be Batgirl sometime this year. So mm. clearly acting is like becoming a thing for her, which I think is great. Did you see in the Heights? I can't remember. I know it's like not. Really I did thing, see it. <clears throat> I did see it. Yeah. You just don't. I'm really like not a huge right? fan of musical theater. Yeah. Um, I can't like suspend disbelief. I'm like, why did you just break out into song? <laughs> I have a hard time not feeling like it's corny. Yeah, um, I mean, it is corny. But, you, know? you know. Yeah, it is. And I don't tend to like <laughs> right that but, but you live or just in like the can't heights. get past it but um I, you know it was cute for what it was for sure yeah. did you feel like it did it feel connected to your time living in the heights so yeah so this came out in the heights came out when i was living in washington heights but i had just arrived in new york you know it was mm-hmm. like 2006 it was like my first year in new york city and i was like very new to the city and so it feels like and i only lived there for one year before i like moved to to brooklyn so oh, okay. um it feels very like I was, to me, I mean, the one year that I lived in Washington Heights, it completely changed my life. Um, Mm. I feel like it was, it was the first time that I had been living like around other Latinx people in that same way, like Mm -hmm. since I came from Venezuela. So it was like completely world shifting for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I only stayed there for a year. So it feels like hard to make like a real assessment about whether it was like true to the neighborhood because I was sort of a passerby. That's fair. I do remember going to eat Dominican food with you in the Heights at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still try to do that. It is really, I mean, if you, I recently in the last year went back to El Malecon, which is Mm -hmm. like classic Dominican spot. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to say like 169th, 170th street ish. Um, and it is still so fucking good. I mean, the vibe Mm -hmm. is like very dinery. But mm-hmm. and the food is just like top notch. Good to know. Yeah, it was interesting because I re- I was in New York too when In the Heights came out on Broadway, and I am into musicals and like was definitely paying attention. But it had a really short run. It was like not well received, I think because of really? racism. Yeah, that's so it's interesting. A- I remember. I mean, maybe it's because I was like hanging out. I was like living in Washington Heights, and also like who I was hanging out with. But like I remember everybody being super excited. There was like oh yeah a group of people that like you know, from my, I was in graduate school at the time and like from my graduate school that like decided to like go and it was like such a big deal. Um, maybe it was like (laughs) just for people of color. I was not paying attention to Broadway news. Yeah. Yeah. It it didn't get like a full run and it didn't get. Wow. I had no idea. But now because of, um, Hamilton. Because of Hamilton. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, being revived and. Wow. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I I feel like people were kind of, yeah, I think people outside the community were sort of sleeping on it. You know, it was like, oh, mm. what's this, you know, Broadway show about 
um, wow. with people. Yeah, and then, I was in the community, so I only yeah. saw people being hype about it, and also like don't know anything it. about Broadway musicals, so like yeah. wasn't able to contextualize it. Right, right, totally fascinating. Wow, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, now you know. Um, all, all right, right. So, so next song. we have yeah. Amara, right? Yeah, Amala Negra, which I'm really glad that you reminded me that she's from Miami because she's like, I feel like represents a really important experience of Miami and of Latinidad that um, hasn't really been represented yet by the people that we've talked about. So let's take a listen to What a Bam Bam, which is her 2018 um, hit. <laughs> There's nothing you can tell me, quiero beberrón The night never ends, y seguimos hasta que salga el sol She's originally from DR, yes? No, she was. she's from Miami. She was no, born in Miami. I had no I idea. I knew that she was out loving hip-hop Miami, so I was like, Amara. But I didn't know that she was born in Miami. Fascinating. Yeah, let me, like, confirm, but... Um, I, I mean, you, you're probably right. I just yeah, I didn't... Yeah, yeah I she was born in Miami. Yeah, she was born in Miami and raised by a Dominican single mom. But yeah, raised and born in Miami in 1990. She's young. Um... So, yeah, she's Afro-Latina and Dominican. And what I also didn't know, I don't know if you knew this, is that she was on Sábado Gigante from 4 yes, to 10 years old. That. Yeah, I and so... She was like a little background child yeah. dancer or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, and apparently she was the first black girl cast member in 50 years on that show. My God. Which is like Why is that so unsurprising? Setting, but so unsurprising, yeah. And so I think that was the beginning of her experiences with like colorism um, and discrimination as a dark-skinned Afro-Latina in the industry. And she was part of a group called Amara. And she that's where the moniker Amara La Negra came from because everyone would be like, ¿Quién es La Negra? She was like the one black girl in that band also, that group. So that's where she kept the name Amara La Negra and then like kind of did her own thing. But yeah, um, Love and Hip Hop Miami was definitely like the beginning of her getting more fame and attention and, and a lot of what she got attention for was talking about colorism and her experiences with colorism and I think Miami in particular um, and the Cuban community in particular like colorism is really a thing and it's really yeah, and racism of, and too. racism yeah right exactly. it's there's not a just, lot of I mean yes she's very dark but also yeah. like the fact that she's visibly black yeah yep 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 yeah no there's a lot of like discrimination against Afro-Cubans for sure and like particularly the you know the people who 
came in the 60s in Miami, like there's just, you know, there's demographic um, sort of trends among that, among that group that really cement a lot of colorism and racism in the in Miami and so it's not surprising that she experienced that and I know folks who grew up in Miami who are Latinx and who are black who like find Miami to be like one of the most racist places they've lived you know so it's really yeah an issue Miami is a difficult place for negras it's a difficult difficult place and I feel like it's the fact that there is like this like really sort of baked in anti-blackness a lot of places Mm -hmm. and you know like you know, into Miami, there's so much anti-blackness that's like sort of built into so much of society there and mixed with the fact that it is a a Latina music hub Mm -hmm. makes it so, has like such broad implications on the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really systemic, right? In a way that like we see that so many people who make it big, like so few are black, right? Like mm-hmm. who are like black superstars? Like Sech, King Mas, you know? Yeah. La verdad más nadie. Right. <laughs> like that, like from like, you know, let's say like Urbano, right? So like, yeah. um, and so I, I think that that, um, that Amara brings a lot of attention to yeah. is, has these like broader implications on the industry as a whole. Right. Right. I mean, Cardi, right? She's a big, she's definitely a big success, but she's also lighter skin. Um, yeah, she's but she's also not marked. She wasn't marketed as a Latin artist. Like she right. came up in the hip hop space. Right. And then like made a, made space for herself. Right. And has made Latin a few TV. Latin right. songs, yeah. but for the most part is not in that genre. Yeah. 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 No, We're I mean, talk- I'm, I'm talking yeah. about like sort of like the Latin music scene. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I mean, it's very obvious. The the hurdles that people are, are faced yeah. with and the yeah. like discrimination that exists. We're going to talk a little bit more about him on the member segment, but so you should become a member, but John Cicada is a, is a Cuban American artist. I mean, he's not a huge hit, but he had a success has had a successful career and he's Afro Cuban and, and it's, yeah. you know, yeah. in that way it's surprising, sure. right. That he was able to, and there's Celia and stuff. There's some exceptions, but, but they're exceptions, you know, they're not the rule. Like it's really, yeah really evident the the racism and colorism that exists um and yeah i think cubans are particularly notorious and miami is particularly notorious for being really unfriendly and like haitian folks experiences in miami too also like forward that out as well um but yeah so this song was released in 2018 it was a pretty big hit i haven't like followed her that much i don't know if you followed her veto to see like what she's what she's up to these days no not i mean yeah apparently she was dating a bachata singer in 2019 and they broke up but she's pregnant with twins now oh she's pregnant cute which may be why we haven't heard that much about her so um yeah in 2020 it says that she started as a correspondent for a spanish language competition show on univision so you know i hope that like all the attention she's gotten even though she's had to really like make visible the barriers and the discrimination she's faced is you know leading to more opportunities for her especially yeah, as more people talk about hill road but anti-blackness um, yeah yeah yep i love it's her uphill road uphill battle all right well thanks for taking this deep dive with me into miami um it's been really fun to do all of this uh this research about this place that sort of feels like my hometown in some ways yeah thank you so much for walking us through that that was very informative I think it's interesting because you have more of a relationship, I feel like, Miami now than I do because you spend a lot of time there, like your sister and your parents. And um, 
but I have this like whole sort of nostalgic childhood connection to Miami. So yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, all of the song information is on our show notes at rallymanea.com. You can follow all of our social media on or just Manea on Instagram, on Twitter. So make sure to check us out. We have a little newsletter every Friday. So if you subscribe to that, the link is in the show notes. You'll get a little bit of extra, um, some tips, some things we're reading, some things we're into um, in your inbox on Fridays. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Shout out Maite, our amazing editor. Love you. Hasta la próxima, y'all. Bye.